This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the AMVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I am sitting down with Jeff Allen, the CEO of Osroads. Uh, some of you may have heard folks at AMVA talk about Osroads in the past. We've commonly referred to it as the best of the AMVA equivalent in Australia. We're going to learn today how true or not true that is. Jeff, welcome to the AmvaCast. Thanks, Ian. Very pleased to be here. So let, let's start right there and try to understand what is Osroads. As I've said, I've had conversations with folks, and you know, folks in our community have gotten to know E-Reg as kind of a counterpoint, and now you as an international partner. Um, but tell us a little bit about you know Osroads. Let's start with the, the membership. The membership makes up Osroads. Sure. So Osroads has 11 members broadly, or up to. 550 if you count them a different way. So mm. primarily we have what I'll call our uh, our founding members, which are the Australian states and territories, so six states, two territories. We have a small federation. Uh, but we also have the Australian national government, the Commonwealth government, as we call it, as a member, and the New Zealand Transport Agency, which is Wakakatahi. Uh, and we also have the Australian Local Government Association. So that is the association representing all local governments in Australia. And our local government system is, I think, a bit simpler than the US. We don't have a distinction between counties and municipalities. We've mm. just got local government. So they're all one level. And there are 537 local governments in Australia. So, uh, But they're represented by one membership, which is ELGA. So we have 11 members we've been in existence since 1934 although mm. we've only had the name Ostrode since 1988 um, what's well, uh, interesting about that is a footnote we've been around since 1933 and I don't know that I've ever put those little coincidences together no but, yeah, yeah 33 and 34 the, the history of the two organizations are almost identical yeah and uh, uh, we were founded because ministers wanted to get you know in the federation across australia national consistency on a lot of things so mm. our first founding so the first two resolutions of the organization were one is to get national consistency on uh, signs and lines effectively because mm -hmm. everyone had developed their own road traffic signs and different way of painting lines on roads and then the second resolution was for uh, the predecessor of Ross Roads uh, and certainly all member agencies to be members of the World Road Association. Mm. So, um, but going back to how similar we are to, to AMVA, so Ostroads probably has two core purposes and one is very similar to AMVA and one is probably more similar to AASHTO. Mm -hmm. But on the, the function in relation to AMVA, so one of the things we operate in Australia is the National Exchange and Vehicle and Driver Information System. So for those people who get a licence in, in each Australian state or territory, it's issued by that state or territory. But if you move across state borders, uh, we are basically the exchange of information in that regard. So um, we, uh, yeah, whether you choose to move house or move location or whether you get fined for uh, a traffic violation in one of the jurisdictions, everything funnels back through our NEVDA system to the home jurisdiction. So those infringements or changes of address or whatever are, are recorded. 
Yeah. So, so Osroads built and operates that technical infrastructure for the states to exchange the information, quite similar to ANVA. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and that's, that's been around since. So we started. It started operating in 1998. It took about five years for us to build. Okay. Um, and again, it was a challenge for us at the time. Not that I was around at the time, but it was a challenge for us. And we started started as a sort of a build operate transfer model so it was completely outsourced when we built it mm-hmm. and it took us a little while to to develop the procedures and Ostros has basically maintained it since it was transferred to to us fully in 2003 um, and it's worked well uh, ever since but I should go back to sorry some of the other roles in our role which is comparable to to Ashto is that we uh primarily produce a series of guides in relation to practice Mm -hmm. and a lot of those are infrastructure related practice and some around traffic management and other things but we also have a uh, a task force or a sub program in relation to registration and licensing so within that we try to improve practice in relation to registration and licensing and certainly again work towards national harmonization and registration and licensing so the the technical function around exchanging information works hand-in-hand with the sub-program we have in relation to improving practice and trying to get national consistency in registration and licensing. And would you say, generally speaking, is there consistency on the registration and and licensing side? If you look across the Australian states, um, whether that came organically or through the guidance that Austroads has created over the years, you know, the way you might get a driver's license in Queensland looks the same way in Victoria and in other places? It's reasonably similar, but there are a number of differences across state boundaries. And part of the reason for that is, so Australia is probably what I'll call more, um, less big P political than the United States, but anything in relation to driver's offences and registration certainly gets a lot of attention from state parliaments. So mostly they are consistent in terms of the age when people can uh, get a driver's licence. Mm-hmm. And in Australia, yeah, through Ostroads, we've um, uh, agreed to a consistent approach for what we call post-novice drivers. Mm-hmm. So those who have, after the uh, assessment and being granted a licence, and then after the what's the provisional period, and that varies depending on what state you're in, how long you can be on a provisional period where you have certain restrictions on um, the type of vehicle you can drive depending on which state and how far and who can be in the car. But once you get into the post-novice state, it is reasonably consistent, but there are differences in relation to um, you know, limitations on depending on how many serious offences you get in drink driving and those yeah. types of things, yeah. And is there any federal role in Australia as it relates to driver's licensing or vehicle regulations, or is everything at the discretion of each individual state? So there are some things that are responsibility of the federal government. So, and again, this is where uh, our NEVDA system works with the Commonwealth. So the key point is in relation to the first registration of vehicles. Mm. So it's the Commonwealth Government that issues the vehicle identification number, or sorry, allows those to be allocated. And we work with the Commonwealth Government for every vehicle that enters Australia, and we generally don't manufacture vehicles in Australia anymore. Mm. Um, but we are the um, basically the registrar on behalf of the Commonwealth for the first point of registration to allow sale, and then they get registered on the, the state and territory licensing system. But because we have that role and because we have access to uh, every state and territory registration system for vehicles, 
Austroads also plays a key role in vehicle safety recalls. Mm. So we provide the master lists for uh, for the recalling entity. So it's generally manufacturers, unless the government decides to do a compulsory recall, then it may be one of the government entities. It used to be in Australia, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. It's now moved to the Department of Transport. Um, so we play a role in that regard. Uh, and again, working with the Commonwealth um, yeah, to make sure certainly vehicles are recognised. And the Commonwealth also sets standards for, at the beginning, in terms of manufacturer. So we've got these things called Australian design rules. Vehicles have to conform with the rules before they get issued a VIN. Um, but then once they're on the road and registered, it's the states that manage modifications. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a bit of um, tension to make sure there's consistency between design rules and modifications allowed yeah. by... Tell me a little bit more about the uh, recall issue because you know, globally that's really gotten hot the past few years for yeah. lots of different reasons and certainly in the US it's gotten a lot of attention with the increased amount of recalls and the safety severity of some of the recalls and there's been a lot of conversation around the definition or the difference between what should be the manufacturer's role in following up on the recall versus what should be a government's role in whether it is providing the data or at a state level reaching out to that owner of the vehicle to make sure they know where you know where is uh, the the right role start and stop between the public and the private sector how is that something that's been on the radar here and how do you how do you tackle that look it certainly hasn't been on the radar okay. and i think because our system seems to work so the way the law is structured i don't know the detail law, but i know the sort of the vibe or the intent of the okay. law is that it, it the onus is put on the manufacturers to do the recall themselves sure. so they generally identify when something needs to be recalled uh, and they will as i say seek information from us around a nationally uh, consistent set of addresses for the VIN numbers because all they would have is the VIN numbers that need to be recalled mm -hmm. um, and they generally do it on their own. Now the Commonwealth, so even though it's transferred from one agency to another recently, the Commonwealth has the power to undertake compulsory recalls and when they say undertake compulsory recalls it is to order the manufacturer to undertake the recall mm -hmm. and um, we don't have too many of those but the last one or the last major one we had of those was the uh, Takata airbag sure. recall, and there yeah. were millions and millions yeah. of vehicles in Australia. That and in those recall. cases, the the manufacturers coming to you, Osroads, for those addresses, they're not having to go to each state to find out how do I contact the owner of this VIN. They're able to come to you as a centralised entity and get that report. That's right, and we want to make it as safe, as easy as possible to identify those vehicles and make sure they get fixed so they're, yeah. they're safe for the drivers and safe for everyone around them. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to I want to go back to and as it relates to what Osroads does and the setup of the different state governments that I think is an interesting comparison. Because you, as you mentioned, you do things that are similar to AMVA, similar to AASHTO. Is that because in most, if not all the states in Australia, the state government agency that's responsible for infrastructure issues is the same agency, maybe different departments, different people, but the same state government agency that handles licensing and registration? Primarily, and yeah, and it's primarily because of that, but also like any organisation, we started doing one thing and it was, a say, it was standardisation of infrastructure conditions, sure. then it became the, the design and construction of that, but because vehicles are interrelated, you can't look at roads as a transport mode. Um, 
simply in terms of infrastructure, you've got to look how they relate to uh, the vehicles that operate on them. Mm -hmm. And certainly in Australia, there's been a because of our you know the need to transport freight, and we're heavily heavily road dependent freight system. When you look at uh, the roads and bridges and other structures, you also have to look at the freight, the, well, the vehicles that travel on them, but a lot in relation to freight because heavy vehicles mm -hmm. damage the roads. So, um, so yeah, registration and licensing, whilst it wasn't our core purpose at the beginning, it certainly became critical, uh, probably, and I'm thinking in the, certainly in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, and it, so it's just adjacent to... Um, to our original function, but it's certainly a it is a critical core function, yeah. and it is one that is growing. So we've mm. we do work. So the Commonwealth, the national government, asked us to lead certain work on improving or getting a nationally consistent approach to heavy vehicle driver licensing, for example. Um, and we're going through the process of doing a, a regulatory impact statement and seeking ministerial approval for that. And if that's approved at the what we call our, our ministerial council level then each state and territory will roll that out. So currently you don't. Currently it's up to each state to determine standards for uh, a license for a freight vehicle driver, a commercial vehicle driver. Well, in in theory, each state and territory about a decade ago agreed to nationally consistent standards, and there was no follow-through mechanism to try mm. and apply those standards. So what we were asked to do by the Commonwealth was and to be fair, and all of our members, all of our Australian members, that is, was to look at a refresh, what's changed, what should be a a good approach to heavy vehicle driver training, assessment and progression through the classes. Because, again, in Australia, we've got some some big multi-combination vehicles. You know, mm -hmm. you can... A multi-combination, you can have, we call them road trains, but you can effectively have five trailers of various wow. configurations yeah. on some of your trains. So we've looked at, as I say, the, the training the assessment and then the progression from from basically a, a a light rigid or a medium rigid to a heavy rigid and then to a, a combination a heavy combination and then a multi-combination mm. approach so well we have quite a bit i think we could share with you on that because we've had you know we have quite a history in the u.s of a of a federal framework for particularly those types of, of drivers. It's a, it's one of the foundational points of what AMVA does and why originally why our network was built was specifically for the purpose of tracking commercial driver licenses. Um, and then it's since been expanded as you know we've talked before, but it's, uh, it's interesting that you built it originally for a different intent, maybe expanding it for these other purposes and we came about it the reverse way. Yeah, no, but that would be good if you can share. And we, yeah. to be fair, we do, um pinch a lot of good ideas from Amber. So one of the things we recently put out was a guide to uh, driving, driving training and assessment with um, increasing automating technology. Mm -hmm. and we relied heavily on the work that Amber did a couple of years ago in that regard. And you'll see um, um, if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, I think Amber should be flattered by what we uh, what we have produced. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. Now you've been very helpful, so I'll go and have a look at the uh, uh, the work you've done on heavy vehicle driver competency. That yeah, would be yeah, good. yeah. So you know, obviously, one of the emerging areas is automated driving and, and automated vehicles. What's the you know you used the word vibe earlier, which I love. It's a very yeah. current term, right? The vibe. Yeah. What's the vibe in Australia about automation and automated vehicles? Uh, I think it's fair to say that five or six years ago. Autom 
people were thinking there were going to be fully self-driving vehicles on the roads within a couple of years. And people like, not people like, well, Elon Musk was a big proponent of that. But what you've seen is things have fallen short of self-driving vehicles. I was, to be fair, mostly in the camp where automation will just be an evolutionary progression. And I suspect it'll be many years before we get full automation. So that's why I think it's better for us to manage uh, and regulate around incremental automation. Mm -hmm. I I suspect if we get... Sorry, I'll jump back a bit. If you look at the variables that a a vehicle or a driver needs to to manage when they're driving, they become more complex in congested traffic where there are intersections, where there are pedestrians, and particularly when there's complex weather uh, occurring Mm -hmm. at the time, whether it's hailstorm or dust storm or whatever. So I think if you're looking to permit automated driving, I think there's two things that need to occur. One is the the legal framework where there is a legal entity in control of the vehicle that is not the driver and you can't, you know, something or somebody has to have legal control. And then if you're going to allow driving by a vehicle, it should be in those circumstances where the automation is acceptable. And I think it will be in those environments where the variables are fewer, so either highway driving or tunnel driving. But I don't think you will get it's a long way of getting to the point. I don't think you will get full automated driving of picking up passengers and dropping them off at destinations, navigating through city traffic. I think that will be many, many years away. Mm. Yeah. And so in the US, we have cities that are already testing that and doing that. You know, yeah. full-fledged, you can get a, uh, a self-driving um, a ride share. I'm trying yeah. to make sure I don't use a specific company's name. Yeah. But a self, self-driving yeah. ride share uh, currently in a number of, of US cities. Uh, so not, not quite there yet here in Australia. You haven't seen that arrive. No, and I think, I just think, I don't know, Australia does have a bit of a driving culture. We um, we drive we drive a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably not as big as the US, but certainly more than Europe and, and other parts of the yep. world. And I think people value their time, sorry, to a certain extent, they value their time in the car because it is a time to, well, you're not necessarily thinking about work and in some instances you get to spend time with your family when you otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the culture is, I mean, there's a lot of parallels with U.S. and Australian culture. And, you know, certainly with the driving probably has somewhat to do with the fact the the geography is similar in the sense that the size of Australia is fairly comparable to the continental U.S., a lot less people in the same amount of space. Uh, But if you look at the development of of cities and suburbs and population centers, uh, I've noticed a lot of consistencies with, you know, the way the major population centers are in Australia culturally with the major population centers in, in the US. So it, it's, uh, I've, I've often referred to it in Australia as a relaxed version of the US. <laughs> That's probably right. I don't know how uptight Australia is, but I, oh, sorry, uptight the US is, but I know Australia is pretty relaxed. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got, you've got automated vehicles and the, the issues you're tackling there. What are some of the other emerging areas that, you know, as Osroads look at, looks at expanding the portfolio, particularly in the driver and, yeah. and vehicle areas, um, whether it's for consistency, reciprocity, interoperability, um, beyond automated vehicles. What are some of those topics that you're hearing from your members, hey, it would be be good to coordinate and not reinvent the wheel across all the different states? Well, the key one and the reason we've got a number of people from AMVA in Australia at the moment is in relation to mobile driver licenses. Mm-hmm. So as certainly you're aware and but your listeners may not be um, we're working closely with AMBA and with EREG in Europe to, to get an internationally consistent approach to, to mobile driver's licences so in Australia at the moment there are two states that have 
MDLs and there's a third state that's working towards it and it's only one of those states, which is Queensland, who will have a, uh, a mobile driver's licence consistent with the international standard that um, Austroads worked with AMVA and EREG to help develop that was published a couple of years ago. So, so that, is a, that is a big one and that is going to be, a, um, I think, a fair bit of our work for the next couple of years and I think that will be critical. I think another one more generally is in relation to driver health and welfare or mm -hmm. driver, driver physical condition. So yeah. our, one of the things we do and our most downloaded document is one that's used by state and territory agencies is called Assessing Fitness to Drive and that's for both um, non-commercial drivers and for commercial drivers. But what we're seeing in Australia is, as certainly on the commercial front, um, commercial drivers are becoming older and they're becoming more unfit and that creates challenges. Mm -hmm. But also our medical system, we have a largely free health system in Australia. Doctors are becoming under more pressure. So what we've, one of the things we're doing is trying to make the um, ability of doctors to use our guide to determine conditions um, to place on, on drivers with certain medical conditions make it easier. So effectively we're digitising that. We're spending a lot of work to, not with our members, but with the medical community to help them quickly understand what the condition should be once on a, on a potential driver once they are aware of what their medical condition is. So you're, wor you're working on streamlining and modernizing the process. You're not necessarily changing the, the, the standards or the criteria. You're not saying, hey, some of these drivers are not as healthy, so maybe we should lower the bar of health. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going there, but you're just trying to modernize the process of reviewing, reporting, making licensing authorities aware of someone's not fit to drive, for that, example. Primarily that's right. So every couple of years we work with the National Transport Commission to do a review of what is the evidence shifted in relation to medical conditions around driving and that again that's evolutionary we might make evolutionary tweaks and we've made a few in in recent times but the big thing there will be a big change and again we've been asked by ministers to look at this is in relation to uh sleep apnea mm. on commercial drivers so yep. that that's the piece of work we'll start with the national transport commission next year and again, it'll probably take a couple of years to, to fully investigate that. So primarily you're right, but as I say, ministers want us to look at sleep apnea yeah. and what that will mean and what, what conditions will need to be placed on So you've referred to this other organisation now, the National Transport Commission, NTC. Yep. Is, that a, is that a government entity or is that another non-profit like Austroads? So that is a government entity. So that was established, it's established under Commonwealth law, but by agreement of all states and territories in Australia. And they have... Their prime responsibility is to draft either national or model legislation, and I can talk about our legislation system here, um, but either national or model legislation to, to uh, complement national schemes. So we work very closely with the National Transport Commission. So where they do what are called big P policy and legislation, mm -hmm. we do the sort of the, the lower regulation or the technical guidance or whatever it is to support how that. to best implement it yeah. so NDC yeah. might say here's the rules you have to follow and then Austroads would come in and say here's the best way to implement it yeah that's pretty and good way and, and NTC yeah. has some authority to force or to audit that the states are doing it 
Yep. Crossroads doesn't necessarily have any authority to say you have to do it this way, but we could say, hey, here's the best way to go about doing it. Yeah, that's right. And we sort of rely on the fact that ministers, the NTC will get decisions out of ministers. And again, because they, as you put it, they use the word force, they can, they could do it. They, they were set up specifically to do that. Yeah. I don't think the word is force, but I can't think of a better word in. Yeah. Um, so they can get agreement, and they do. They report on implementation. So again, given states and territories primarily have to implement this, we work with states and territories to not just say, here is the best way, but how do we make it easy for you? Sure. Because realising, um, again, we've got big states with big populations that are quite wealthy and smaller states where things are a bit more challenging. They've got a lot of uh, a lot of things on their plate. So we work to help. Here's a tool for you to use to make your life easier. You don't have to build it yourself. That's right, yeah. Yeah, again, I'm... I'm I, you know, you wouldn't know by listening, folks, but you could probably imagine there's a smile on my face because we all know that sounds very similar to AMVA's relationship with, particularly with USDOT, particularly FMCSA, Federal Motor Care Safety Administration, as it relates to commercial drivers and sleep apnea. It's a topic that we've worked with the federal government on. Um, it's the same idea where, you know, USDOT, like, you know, your, your National Transport Commission would come in and say, here's the regulatory framework and then AMVA comes and says okay here's the best way to implement it here's a tool maybe you can use to make your life easier and um, so again the similarities always just, you know, just, yeah. just strike me yeah similarities um, good I think the benefit for us is we have far fewer members which just makes things easier yeah yeah well there's probably pros and cons to that you yeah. know yeah there's the less uh, less cats to wrangle so to speak but uh, I imagine if you know if one or two disagree it could be harder to get to consensus because that's a large proportion of yeah. you know yeah. of someone not to agree that's right but I think one of the advantages of Ostroads is our board. So we have 11 members, we have 11 people on the board. So the board yeah. is in part has the, you know, the functions required of board members meeting all the statutory requirements about a, a fully functioning organisation. But it's also a valuable forum for members to talk in camera and you know, candidly about the issues and reach yeah. agreement. So I, I really like our board they are very collegiate and very outcome focused very pragmatic and they give us good steers on things in you know they will say oh well this can work and our, our board is primarily made up of either chief executives or def deputy chief executives of each of, the of those yeah. agencies yeah so you know they're sensible smart pragmatic people and they can say okay x is likely to work do more work on that and see how we can go on agreement or why is not likely to work, change it, or we'll let, you know, can you work with X, Y, and Z in my agency yep. to try and see what we can agree. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, again, another another similarity. Of course, we don't have 100% around the table when it's a board meeting, simply with 69 jurisdictions as opposed to the 11. It's more of a representative approach, but yeah. similar idea of the heads of those of those agencies. And then, so your role as CEO, how large is the team at, at Osroads that uh, that you support as, as the CEO? So we've got a group of about 74, 78, depending on how you count. So we have a lot of contractors, so it depends on sure. the difference between sure, sure, sure. So if you break it down into what I'll call our core, which is our research work program and guidance, we have five program managers, five supporters, but we also have a comms team that supports that because there's a lot of effort. And when I say comms, it's a lot of effort into we do webinars primarily but we also do some podcasts but a lot of the the publications and publication standards mm -hmm. so we've got four or five in that area then we've got about sorry that's that's a team total of about 15 or 18 then we've got a group of about again 16 or 17 working in nevitas and that's both the it side 
and Nevis is a national exchange of vehicle and driver information. About half of that are on the IT side and about half of that are on the customer service side. So we still do a lot of interactions with states and territories primarily and a lot of it is things like you know data cleansing someone you know named mm-hmm. as a lot of issues but also interaction with uh, you know vehicle registers and that type of thing so a lot of customer interaction so that's about 15 but then you know sort of what I call an executive overlay of probably around five or six and then we also have and I haven't mentioned this before we have an organization um, it's basically a a, a, a company within Australia it's called Transport Certification Australia and that manages all of the telematics input from primarily from heavy vehicles, some light vehicles are covered depending on the scheme, but we channel all that information back to the state governments to make sure that if a vehicle is supposed to have telematics for a particular purpose, usually compliance with the scheme, that the telematics data confirms that that vehicle was operating in accordance with the conditions that it was granted. And we, depending on the scheme, either give um, the non-conformance reports to the state governments hmm. or we give them all the detail about what's going and and that's good for a couple of reasons as I say it's good to identify individual breaches but it also gives us a whole lot of data on vehicle yeah. movements and what's happening around the country which again can be fed back to our members to get an idea of how the network right. is functioning and what that almost sounds like a quasi-regulatory role that you're in there having to track the data and then tell a state if there's something that needs to, to be fixed. Yeah, and again, we so you're right, it's quasi-regulatory, and I use the same term, <laughs> but the regulation is done by the states. We just provide the data for the state and territory governments. To allow to each apply. state to meet their own regulation. That's right. You're, right. And, yeah. you're not, and you're not even determining whether they've met it or not. They're just saying, we need this data from you so we can go and measure whether we've met our regulation. That's right. And as I say, that's, that's mostly the case, but we also have the states will tell us here are the conditions to that are applied to a particular vehicle, and we issue these things called non-conformance reports (NCR). Mm-hmm. So tell us when they are in non-conformance. Yeah. And again, it's just easier because it doesn't right. overwhelm them with. But you, it's again, you're just using their measuring their stick measure. and letting right. them, letting them know you're not you're not determining what the measure is. No, they determine the measures, and it's generally, as I say, it's either a, a regulatory scheme in their instance, or a voluntary scheme. So the heavy vehicle operator has signed up to the conditions. Gotcha. So they, they yeah. are, should be fully aware of the conditions before they start yeah. operating. Yeah. Okay. And in the scheme of things, you are I, still relatively new to the CEO role. I mean, you know, I think you, you know, maybe have a little bit of time left to use the new the new badge. I hope so, because, um, <laughs> yeah, cover, can cover a lot of mistakes. Um, <laughs> and we're trying to do a lot, so we do make mistakes. But I've been here, I've been in the role a bit over, I think I was formally appointed in around May twenty. 20, so just at the start of the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting time to take on a new role like that. Yeah, and pandemic years are sort of not like real years, um, yep. particularly in Australia. As your listeners probably know, we had significant lockdown. So, yeah, being a chief executive in an organisation where you, for a large period of time, couldn't meet people physically, yeah. and meet your staff physically, was a was a challenge, uh, and meet other people, you know, see your members. Right, I mean, members of the board, you know, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. And had you already been in the transportation space, or is this a new area for you to come into? So I was in the, um, I was a chief operating officer at Austroads for about six months before I got the, the promotion to, uh, to chief executive. But before that, I was 
effectively the, the two ICs. So I was Chief Operating Officer at the National Transport Commission. So oh, well that other group we were talking about. Yeah, okay, worked, yeah, yeah, yeah. Worked with Osroads. So I was doing that for about six years, maybe not quite six years. But prior to that, I've worked in a uh, the transport agency, so both at the Commonwealth level, I was in the old Department of Transport, and it was called then Regional Services, but also worked here in Queensland in the, and then it was two departments, Primarily, it was the Department of Main Roads, but also worked in the the Department of uh, of Transport as well in the uh, the early two thousands, from about two thousand to about two thousand four or five. So, yeah, yeah. I've got a reasonable amount of experience in the transport space, but I've had an eclectic work background. Sure, sure. Yeah. That, well, that, you know, that fits these types of organizations like an Osroads or an AMVA. You know, to be a jack of all trades to come in and be able to help members and support members and work with folks. Yeah. And I think one of the key things, um, so there's a few sort of themes throughout the career, and one of the sort of themes is that working across the Federation, even though it was in state state agencies, whether it be around corrective services or environmental protection, still did a lot of work across the nation. So I think that understanding the Federation and the differences and, and whatnot are certainly helpful to this role. Right. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thanks for chatting with me a bit today. It's great to, for our listeners to learn a little bit about what Osroads does. You know, we are, um, I think we're all recognizing this, uh, as uh, someone said this week, this marble we live on gets smaller and smaller every year. Um, and being able to work closer with you, your team, and of course the folks at EREG, uh, it's, we're all tackling the same issues, the same topics, and to not... You know, we, our organizations exist so that our individual jurisdiction members don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's no reason countries need to reinvent the wheel. No, and I think, and again, it, it, it helps just to get reminded because you do get to be a bit focused. But as you say, as the this marble we live on gets smaller, the opportunities to exchange information and to work collaboratively improve, be it, you know, video technology or visits like this. You know, it's becoming easier to travel. So, uh, no, I look forward to continue working with Amber. I think, yeah. uh, as I say, we've, as I say, we've... Uh, I won't say plagiarized, but we borrowed a lot from you. And yes, yeah, so I look forward to Great. continuing to do that in the future. Yeah, and I've got more for you. And I've already heard you mention a few topics that I think you're further along on than we are. And we're going to get some copies from you for some of those topics very soon. Okay, that'll be Great. good. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.